Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Today's the first Sunday in December, December the 5th. And that means that Christmas is less than three weeks away. 20 days to be exact. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to celebrating Christmas this year. Are you? You know, last Christmas, the pandemic put a significant damper on holiday spirit. Some people were quarantined, under lockdown, unable to meet together as a family. And then the year before that, some holiday season funerals made it extremely difficult for us to celebrate Christmas. But not this year. I'll say it again. Not this year. We're going after Christmas this year because we are believing that God is with us. Can you say that? God is with us. And we are looking forward to celebrating the Christmas season this year. Are you excited about that? I'm gonna gonna wait until you get a little bit more excited. All right? Our intercessors, our prayer warriors, our elders have been praying for the last several weeks that you stay healthy during the month of December. And if for some reason you do come down with something, you're going to recover quickly without any complications. Can we have a disease-free December? Can you pray along with us that way? And if by chance you haven't been able to drive by the church building during the evening hours when it's dark to get the party started. We've lit the place up a bit. So I want you to check out some of these photos. This is what Community Christian Church looks at at night. And our manger scene. It's time to celebrate. It's the season to celebrate. And the celebration is all about one person. His name is Jesus. He's worthy of all of our praise. He alone is worthy. And so we're going after Christmas this year. We're going to keep talking to you about it. We're doing some special things. We want you to get real excited about it. I hope you don't mind how passionate I am this morning because I have been waiting two years and I'm ready. All right. There's a powerful and inspirational worship song that we love to sing here at Community Christian Church. It was first recorded by Michael W. Smith in May of last year during the pandemic, May 2020, and it remained the number one song on the Christian billboard for three weeks in a row. Do you know what song I'm talking about? Waymaker. He's the waymaker, the miracle worker promise keeper, light in the darkness. And yes, you guessed it, that's the same title as our December series. A four-part series starting today and concluding on December the 24th, Christmas Eve. And you did hear Sean correctly. 
We are hosting a Christmas Eve service this year at 4.30. I hope that you'll be able to join us. And so this morning, Waymaker Part 1. And the subtitle for today's message is Waymaker. Next week, Miracle Worker. Then Promise Keeper. Then Light in the Darkness. Do you see why we pride ourselves with such great creativity here at our church? And for those of you not familiar with the song, those subtitles are the song's original lyrics. And throughout the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and everywhere in between, you will encounter, experience, and witness God in that way. He's our way maker. The God we serve is a way maker. He makes a way where there is no way. In Isaiah, probably one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel's history, a prophet who never got it wrong, not one time, this is what he had to say about this concept. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 21, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase Bible. This is what God says. Who says it? This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean and carves a path through pounding waves. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. It's happening. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. That last line one more time. This is God talking. This is what God is saying. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been on a road trip through the Badlands? And now I'm not talking about Badlands National Park in Black Hill, South Dakota, my second new home. <laughs> no, I'm speaking figuratively of the Badlands of life. The ups and downs. The daily disappointments that we encounter. The hardships, the adversities, the heartache, and the tragedies, like what happened here in Oxford just a couple of days ago. Anyone been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do, because we've all been there. No exceptions. Make no mistake, in this lifetime, we are all going to visit the Badlands. But what did the prophet say about that dry and desolate place? God's there. God shows up. You will find God in the desert place. And I promise you, he's not standing around doing nothing. He's not just checking things out or hanging out. No, he's cutting a pathway through the pounding waves. And he's always at work making a way 
where there is no way. That's why he's referred to in the Bible as the way maker. You see, our God can make our situations better. I'm going to ask you to repeat that with me. Let's go word by word. My God can make my situation better. One more time. My God can make my situation better. My God can make my situation better. You see, when you say that, when you make that statement, you shift the focus from your situation, from how difficult it is, to who God is. And he's a great God. He's a mighty God. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And as the people of God, we have to see him that way. We have to ask the Lord to open up our eyes so that we can acknowledge that he is for us. He's not against us. He is with you every step of the way. And the scriptures declare to us, he's always at work doing something that's brand new. And we don't have to keep rehashing the old stuff over and over again. We can move on. We can see him as he really is. All right, there's a couple of verses of scripture in the book of Exodus that I'd like to read for you. Uh, In this particular passage, the children of Israel, they're having dialogue with Moses, and I'm going to explain this to you in just a moment. Exodus chapter 14, verses 12 through 20. Here's the children of Israel speaking. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which, we, which he will accomplish for you, when? Today. Check this out. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. All right, for those of you who know a little bit about this story, you know this passage is the introduction to the famous and the familiar miracle story at the Red Sea. Remember with me that the children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians for how long? 400 years. And because of the harsh treatment of their taskmasters, the Egyptians, they cried out to God for help. And God heard their prayer and answered their prayer. You know what God did? He sent them an 80-year-old disgraced fugitive by the name of Moses. 40 years earlier, Moses had to flee Egypt because he committed a cold-blooded murder. And now in direct response to God, obedience to the call, Moses goes back to Egypt. The first thing he does is tick the Pharaoh off. And he creates tremendous trouble for the Israelites. And for a second, their situation was more difficult than before Moses arrived. However, through a series of unforeseen circumstances... 
Pharaoh finally lets the children of Israel leave. He allows them to actually pack up their stuff, grab some gold from their neighbors, and make their way out into the wilderness. And for the first time in 400 years, the people of God are free. They're living the dream now. They're no longer under bondage. And they're camping out now at the banks of the Red Sea. I mean, they're along the coastline. They have everything you could possibly imagine. And they went out there to worship their God and to offer thanks to the great God who just set them free. Unfortunately, the very next day, Pharaoh wakes up and he has a change of heart and he decides he's going to exterminate all of the Jewish people. So he gathers together his entire army, including 600 chariots, the most fierce army in the known world at that time, and he decides he's going to go and take out all of the Israelites and totally destroy the entire nation. And they see him coming. The Israelites see Pharaoh and his army breathing down their necks, and do you know what they did? They freaked out. And who could blame them? They were immediately filled with fear and dread because their backs are up against the Red Sea. There's nowhere for them to go, no one available to help them. They're defenseless, they have no weapons, they cannot protect themselves. There is absolutely zero chance of survival. Are you getting the picture here? You talk about a situation where you find yourself in the badlands. This is about as bad as it can get. And in that situation, on that day, the Israelites said to Moses, we just read it, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Even though we cried out to God for 400 years, Even though we begged God to set us free, it would have been better for us to stay in that position. And from their statement, you should be able to conclude that in the back of their minds, they were thinking, we're going to die. We're going to die. That was their mindset. That's what they believed. In that situation, they said, there is no way out for us. We can't survive. Now, just in case you don't know the whole story, let's back up just a little bit. And just before Israel was allowed to leave Egypt, remember with me, they were there in bondage for 400 years. God sent Moses to deliver them from their bondage. And just before they left Egypt, God had to encourage Pharaoh a little bit in order for that to happen. And in order to do that, he sent 10 nasty disasters that were placed upon the Egyptians. 10 ugly plagues, devastating encounters. Do you remember the first one? The River Nile was turned to blood. 
Not just the river, though. All of the drinking water, all the water in their wells, every, every bit of water in their homes, it was all turned to blood. They, it, it was a horrible plague. Then came the frogs. Not just a couple frogs jumping around. Everyone in the whole nation was up to their knees in frogs. A ton of frogs. After that came the lice. You ever been exposed to lice? Ever look in somebody's hair for lice? Not really nice things to try to clean up. Every single person had lice or gnats. Then came the swarm of flies. Millions of flies in everybody's house. You should check out what happens when we have one fly in our house. <laughs> what goes on. They had millions of flies. After that, there was a disease that broke out among their livestock, killed just about all their herds. Then the boils on their bodies, painful, ugly, pus-filled boils, even on their faces. Then a thunderstorm of hail and fire, followed by locusts that ate up all the vegetation. There was nothing green at all left in the land of Egypt. Then came darkness for three days. Not clouds and gray, pitch black darkness, three days. Nobody could see a thing. And finally, the tenth plague was a deadly one. It was the death of the firstborn son of every family in Egypt. And so over a period of several weeks or months, Egypt endured all of this devastation. Every town, every village, every city, every square foot in Egypt was affected by it. Those 10 plagues pretty much wiped out the entire land. There was only one small town, one zip code, that did not receive all of that vengeance and all of that wrath. Do you remember where that was at? It's in the land of Goshen. Do you remember who lived there? The people of God. In Goshen, all during the time that these plagues were devastating Egypt, it was business as usual. There was no death. There was no darkness. No one had to get out the fly swatter. Not one Israelite even got a mosquito bite. It was wonderful in Goshen while the entire land of Egypt was being destroyed. And I have to believe that the children of Israel acknowledged that God was favoring them. Do you think that's a, a true statement? I mean, they're looking around them. They can see what's going on. They can hear it. None of their houses are hit by lightning. Not, and no hail falls on anybody's head. All of their flocks are fine. They don't have any darkness there. There's light there. Think of that miracle. Light there, but darkness everywhere else. They have to believe that God was in their corner. That God was watching out for them. That God was protecting them and, and a covenant God to them. But then just a few days later, they find themselves pressed up against the Red Sea and all of a sudden, they're filled with fear and they're faithless. 
They think they're going to die. And they say to Moses, it would have been better for us to be slaves in Egypt than for you to bring us out here to die. They thought they were dead. I just want you to think this through with me. They watch God deliver them through ten plagues. Not one, not two, not three. Ten unbelievable, devastating disasters fall upon their neighbors and everyone around them, and they are protected. And now God is going to take them out on the 11th disaster. Now God is going to wipe them out. He's going to say, okay, I protected you for a couple of months, but this is the day of reckoning. You're all going to drown in the Red Sea. Are you following me here? You see, God didn't lead the people to the Red Sea and trap them there to kill them or that they would be drowned or that they would find themselves in a hopeless situation. What he did is led them there so that he could prove to them and reveal to them that he is the way maker. And he makes a way where there is no way. When it's hopeless, when there's no viable way of getting through the circumstances you find yourself in, there's God. And he opened up that Red Sea. Can you imagine? Who would have believed it? Isaiah said he was capable of doing it, creating a path through the oceans. He did it. He piled up the waters on top of each other. Try that sometime with two drops. Take two drops of water and try to get one to stand on top of the other. And the greatest miracle of all is the scripture tells us the people crossed the Red Sea, what? On dry ground. It wasn't even slimy. They didn't get any mud on their sandals. They walked across the Red Sea all of them did, and then as soon as they made it to the other side, when Pharaoh and his army tried it, they were all killed. And throughout Israel's history, from that moment on, you look in the scriptures, read through the Psalms, through the prophets, God keeps taking his people back to the Red Sea. He keeps pointing back to what he did there, as if to say, I can't do any better than that. I can't prove to you in any greater way that I am a way maker than what I did for you. I delivered you from trouble. I saved you from certain death. I took you to the banks of the Red Sea where you were trapped and I set you free. Amen. He did it over and over again thinking that should be enough. That would cause them to have faith in God and confidence in God. And it didn't matter what mountain they faced or what difficulty they had from that moment. They would just think back of what God did at the Red Sea. Ten plagues, eleventh one on the heels, and boom, here comes God, the waymaker. 
God thought it would be enough. By leading his people there, performing this unbelievably spectacular, amazing feat, he thought it would be enough. Years and years later, Jesus comes along. And Jesus met with his disciples intimately on the last day that he was on this earth before his death. He shared intimate moments with his disciples. And in John chapter 16 and verse 33, a passage of scripture that I quote often, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to face the badlands from time to time. But what? Take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know how he did that? He did it on the cross. And for the believer, the cross is our Red Sea experience. Because of sin, our backs were against the wall. And the enemy was pursuing us to destroy us. And we were defenseless. There's no way that we could save ourselves. There was no chance that we could be rescued. We were absolutely in a no-win situation. And here comes Jesus, our way maker, and he makes a way where there is no way. That's who he is. That's how we sing the song. My God, that is who you are. Now, we're going to gather around the communion table in just a few moments, and we're going to receive the bread and the cup. But just before we do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read a couple of short testimonies. A couple of months ago, when we first started to put this series together, I sent out an email to some of our leaders and some of our workers, and I asked them to send me stories, experiences in their lives when they found themselves in a tough situation and God uh, proved himself strong on their behalf, that God actually changed the situation around when they thought there was no way that it could happen. And the response was overwhelming. I really appreciate those of you who sent uh, little testimonies. I couldn't possibly read them all. I'm going to apologize in advance if yours is not included this morning, but I saved them and I'll try to get to them at a later date. So we're going to go through just a couple of them and then we're going to have communion. Are, are you ready for that? Okay. Uh, first one. After I lost my first kidney transplant and had to go back on dialysis, I was upset and discouraged, but my wife and I continued to pray for a miracle. Three years went by. We never gave up. We continued to trust the Lord, and during that time, my transplant doctor informed me that because of my declining health, I was no longer a good candidate for a kidney transplant. We went home very discouraged, not knowing what we were going to do next. So we set up a meeting with the U of M transplant office, and they assured us that we were still in the market for a kidney. 
One morning, my wife woke up with tears in her eyes and said she had a dream. In the dream, she got a call from the transplant office who told her they had a kidney for me. But remember, this was just a dream. I went to dialysis that day, and about an hour into my treatment, my wife said, you're not going to believe this, but the transplant team just called me, and they have a kidney for you. And on December the 24th, 2016, on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock in the morning, I got a new kidney. God answered our prayers and performed a Christmas miracle. Here's another one. I've been witnessing to my sister who lives out of state for what seems like forever. I shared parts of the gospel message with her often, but there just didn't seem to be a connection until COVID. During the lockdown, she started watching the Community Christian Church online service, and a few weeks in, she gave her heart to Jesus. Now, she's a long-distance member, tunes in every Sunday, and she rarely misses she also attends the online women's Bible study, and she joined an online life group. And to add the finishing touches to this wonderful story, back in 2004, during the phase two groundbreaking ceremony, I wrote my sister's name on a salvation stone and threw it into the builder's pit. The stone eventually became a part of the foundation of this building, the sanctuary right here. It took 17 years for God to answer that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. These are all members of Community Christian Church. All people going through situations that we would say there's just no hope. Here's another one. Not long after I started attending this church, I went through a very painful and bitter divorce that ended my 18-year marriage. At the time, I was left to fend for myself and my three young children. Being a stay-at-home mom for the last 10 years of my marriage and not having a college education, I was very worried about how I was going to be able to provide for my children. With prayer, determination, and tons of support from my parents and family, I was able to graduate from nursing school, and I now have a successful nursing career. It was not easy, and countless nights I found myself on my knees crying out to God. Being plugged into Community Christian provided endless prayers and support God is truly amazing with his many blessings that show up in so many unexpected ways. I am so thankful every day for having Jesus as my Savior. My first service at Community Christian Church was actually a prayer and praise meeting in January of 1995. We're going back a ways here. I found out earlier that morning that I had cancer. And when a co-worker who attended Community Christian Church at the time heard about it, she invited me to the prayer meeting. This same co-worker had asked me to visit the church many times, but I was still nursing some hurts from my previous church, so I declined her invitations. Well, that night at the prayer meeting, the pastors, along with the elders, anointed me with oil and prayed for healing. A short time later, I had a procedure and since that time, over 26 years, I have been cancer-free. 26 years. A couple more. Thank you for your patience. When my children were nine and seven years old, my husband lost his job. With little notice, the plant closed, and just like that, he was out of work. 
As you might imagine, we were devastated. Everything felt like it was caving in. Our minds went to dark places. We had visions of losing our home and everything else we'd worked so hard to achieve. I was working a part-time job, but there was no way we could survive on my salary alone. Well, God blessed my husband with a six-month severance package, which was a total shock, something we were not expecting. It included his normal salary and benefits for six months. Then God opened a door for me to go back to work full-time. And as it turns out, my health care benefits kicked in the same day my husband's ended. They gave me top pay, adjusted my hours, and allowed me to work four days instead of the required five. They were flexible and authorized extra time off when the kids had special school activities. During the years that I worked full-time, my husband was able to complete his bachelor's degree, which greatly improved his career path. Looking back... In this hopeless situation, we clearly see the faithful hand of God. He was with us every step of the way, opening doors and favoring us. And as a family, listen, as a family, we learned how to pray together and trust God, concluding that his ways are always better than ours. I was up north in Grayling on a summer camping trip with my husband and several of our friends. During the trip, all the guys decided to go dirt biking. Not long into the ride, my husband was involved in a very serious accident. He fell off his bike and was in pretty bad shape. We called EMS and they rushed him to a Traverse City hospital. They allowed me to ride along with them. Immediately, my husband was placed in ICU. He was suffering with eternal bleeding and several other critical injuries. He was in ICU for five days, and then he died. My husband was dead. I was devastated, completely lost. I thought to myself, how do I live? How am I going to pay my bills and make ends meet? I didn't have a job. I hadn't worked in years. The company my husband worked for came together. They made the decision to help me financially. They covered all the funeral costs, and they provided for me financially for a whole year. I was told this was the first time the company has ever done anything like that. The Lord miraculously provided for me when I needed him most. I hope these are a source of encouragement to you. Here's the last one. When I was 85 years old, I was diagnosed with aortic dissection. The doctor told me I had a tear in the major artery that carried blood to my heart. The doctor also said this was a very serious condition that could only be corrected with a delicate and complicated surgery. Because of my age, 85, the surgeon prepared me and my family for the worst. He acknowledged the percent of success and survival were definitely not in my favor and many patients die on the operating table. I decided to trust the Lord and go for it. The day of my procedure, my entire family gathered around me. My children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren all showed up, not only to pray for me, but quite possibly see me alive for the last time. 
We all knew there was a real possibility I would not make it to recovery. But God had other plans. I came through the operation with flying colors, and here I am today, eight years later, at 93 years old, still serving the Lord and enjoying good health. The God we serve is a way maker. And he hasn't changed professions yet. He's still in the same business today, saving lives, healing people, changing and transforming us. He's a God who loves us and he cares about us. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for all of these testimonies, real stories of the faithfulness of our God. Not everybody was healed. Not everybody had supernatural experiences. Not all of these testimonies represent you moving in a supernatural way. Nevertheless, you made a way where there was no way. You got involved you rolled up your sleeves. You went to work. You, you created a path in the rivers and in the waters. And Father, that's the kind of God we want to focus in on today and throughout the month of December. That's how we want to see you. We want to take our eyes off the hopelessness, the despair, all that's wrong in our world everything that divides us, the things that fills our minds with hate and with anxiety, with doubt, those things that cause us to be negative and to lack confidence. And I pray, Lord, in these closing moments of communion that you would perform a miracle among us and open our eyes. You're doing something brand new. It's bursting forth. It's happening. And we are the recipients not only of the love that you've always had for your people, but the power of a new day. Lord, we don't want to rehash the past. We want to keep our eyes fixed on you. We want to move forward. We want to see you in all of your glory. And I pray, Lord God, that during this communion time, situations will change. Sometimes we just pray, Lord, that you give us peace. Sometimes we pray that you give us endurance. We are asking for miracles to take place this morning. You're that kind of a God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The scripture says it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body, which is for you. Can I get you to say it was for me? It's for me. It's for me. And after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus said, whenever you do this, whenever you take the time to receive the bread and the cup, I want you to remember my death on the cross. In other words, Jesus points us back to what happened over 2,000 years ago when he died that horrific death for us in the same way that God tried to point his people back to the events that happened at the Red Sea. It's as if Jesus is saying to us today, I couldn't do any better than that. That's the best I could do. Can I get you to just bow your heads for a moment? Maybe you're in this place this morning. Maybe you're watching, you're listening to me. And right now you are currently in a situation where you desperately need God to prove to you that he is a way maker. Maybe nobody knows this. But you're at the crossroads and you need God to do something in your life. If that's the case, if that's you, I want you to know this communion service is for you. It's not by chance that you're here or by watching or listening. God had you in mind when he put this whole thing together. And if you would say, Pastor, I, I'm not well right now. I, I, physically, I'm sick. I have cancer, I have COVID. I'm in hospital room right now. I'm, I'm watching online and I'm, I, I, I'm sick. Or if you would say my marriage is in a shambles, I'm on the brink of divorce, it's, I, I, I'm not gonna make it. I'm in over my head financially. I'm steeped in addiction. I'm so filled with panic and anxiety and depression. I'm stuck. Lord, I'm stuck. If you would say any of those things that I just described, this communion service is for you because God wanted you to hear me say, he's a way maker. And I went through all of what I did in the scripture, I told you all of those stories, real life stories to let you know he cares about you. He can change your situation. God can make it better today. If you'd want me to include you in my prayer just before we receive the bread and the cup because maybe I touched on something that you're going through, could I get you to just raise your hand? doesn't have to be high, just enough for God to see it. Thank you, appreciate it. Father, you promised and you proved. I'm asking you, touch your people this morning. We can't do it. Only you can. Prove yourself again that you make a way where there is no way. Let's take the bread and the cup together.
Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.